The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. All right, the scripture for, for today is coming from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. And uh, you can follow along with me uh, with the words up on the screen or uh, the Bible's on your seats. All right, starting verse 17. <laughs> on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to, uh, on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they all glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This has been God's word. This is the first time, if it wasn't for uh, the dedication, I'd probably have to introduce myself. There's a lot of new faces here. Um, As any new parent, wife and I have been heavily uh, involved with uh, lack of sleep, among other things, trying to get her situated. So it's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, We want to consider uh, Luke chapter 5. And so uh, I had some time to think about it. As many of you know, we had a hurricane-ish happened last week, and so no church. That was kind of weird, uh, not having church on Sunday. And so my wife and uh, Eli had already planned to go out of town, and so they were out of town uh, when uh, things started getting progressively worse, and so I just said, hey, why don't you stay out of town? No big deal. So I had, for the first time in two months, four or five days totally to myself. You can imagine, I'll be honest with you, I was very excited about it. <laughs> I was like, I don't have to get up in the middle of the night. I can sleep in. I mean, just so many things, so many possibilities, right? And uh, about 24 hours in, I'm feeling really good. I've eaten out two or three times at this point, watched a couple movies on Netflix, read a ton of articles. By about the second or third day, I'm totally bored. I mean, I, I realize I, I have no human communication outside of work. Uh, I, I walk around the house for hours, and there's nobody saying anything. It's very weird. And so I had to come to a reality that on my own, I'm a pretty lame guy. I remembered myself, at least in college, as a much cooler person than I actually have turned out to be. We can all be honest with ourselves about that. So uh, I started thinking, I said, you know, I need hobbies. I don't have enough hobbies. 
Because Netflixing is not really a hobby, <laughs> although it has turned into one, I guess. But So what I did, uh, sitting there in my living room, I started typing on my phone either hobbies that I have that I like or stuff that I'd like to do that I don't do. And some of it was like to get my pilot's license. I'd like to hang glide. You know, some of them were fairly obscure, but other ones were achievable. And so one of my hobbies is uh, I, I do love to travel. And I've had the opportunity to travel um, growing up with my family, but also more and more over the last couple years, years with work and other things. And so I don't know if any of you have traveled first class before, but I have had one chance to travel first class. And let me tell you about it. It is awesome. It, it is, I mean, it is like, they live like kings and queens up front, and the peons are in the back. And so we didn't even pay for it. it was, the tickets were given to us. And so my wife and I were heading out to San Francisco last year uh, for an anniversary trip. And uh, we had to go to Charlotte and then Charlotte to San Francisco. So we only got first class from here to Charlotte, which is just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm begging the pilot, can you do another lap, you know, let's take it up to New Jersey and back, and so, anyway, it was awesome for that 38 minutes, and that's including runway time, and so, the, the truth is, when you travel, and I have a, a co-worker of mine who has platinum status on the airlines, and so, I see the way they travel, and the way that I travel, and there's a stark difference, there are benefits to traveling first class. Uh, I have not reaped them very often, but I did one time. And so there, there's benefits and costs with everything in life. Um, uh, we were talking, uh, the, the Letsons can swear to you that Costco has the most benefits of anything in life. And, uh, but the reality is everything that we incur or interact with has a cost and a benefit. And so what we want to consider this morning in Luke chapter 5 is that there are benefits to being a disciple of Christ. And that's a, that's a good question for us to ask as Christians. And if you're not a Christian and you're considering the faith, you're thinking about spiritual things, it's a good thing to ask, what are the benefits to following Christ? And Luke uh, gives us a fairly clear argument for what benefits exist. And certainly, there are spiritual and mental and emotional and physical and eternal benefits for being a Christian. But through four different stories, in Luke 5, 1 through 32, Luke gives us a glimpse into just a few of what those benefits might be. So all my aim this morning for us is is to consider what benefits exist for disciples of Christ and whether or not we're actually experiencing those benefits. And so, if you don't mind, I, I, my mind feels a little scattered. Um, let's pray and ask for God's help and we can spend some time together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, this is good for us to think about. It's good for us to wonder what benefits exist in your presence. We're reminded of what Paul says, that we are to be most of all pitied 
if there is no real hope. And so, would you help each of us, wherever we are, where we find ourselves, to think about, to reflect on what benefits we are or are not experiencing in our relationship, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be unveiled to what benefits you've designed for your beloved to feel and to experience and to know this side of heaven. So would you give us that? Would you let the preaching be clear? Open our hearts and our minds in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been working through Luke. We're in Luke chapter 5 now. And it It's important to remember where we are chronologically in the Lord's ministry at this point. So the Gospels interact differently with one another, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are not an orderly account uh, or a timeline of the life and ministry of Jesus. They, in fact, focus on different elements of the life of Christ. And so Luke has a particular bend in mind when he's thinking about the Lord's ministry. And so that's where we find ourselves in Luke 5 is... At this point, Christ has already been baptized by John the Baptist. He had spent time being tempted by Satan in the desert. And he has journeyed about 90 miles north to where he'll spend the majority of his life uh, preaching and teaching. And Luke chapter 5 kicks off what we call the Lord's preaching ministry. And so at the end of chapter 4, we've seen Jesus give the uh, guest sermon in the synagogue. He's healed Simon's uh, mother-in-law. And so at this point, Luke takes us to four separate stories that are meant to highlight particular aspects of being a disciple of Christ. So the first one, if you have your Bibles, you can turn. I'm not sure with the Bibles under the chairs what page that is. If somebody wants to holler that out, that'd be great. But Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Anybody have that page number? 860. Thank you. So at this point, Jesus is... Spending time with Simon, Simon Peter, who he'd uh, become to be called. So Simon was a fisherman. And at this point, we know the the Lord had some interaction with Simon already. There's a familiarity there. And the, the story starts with Jesus going down to the Sea of Galilee, and he's preaching. And he pushes off into Simon's boat, and he's preaching to sort of project his voice as an amphitheater would. And Luke turns our attention not to Christ's teaching here, but he turns our attention to his interaction with Simon. And so we see in in this story that Jesus is pursuing Simon. And he has been pursuing Simon. And so there's this climactic point here about halfway through the text where Jesus, who is not a fisherman, tells Simon, who is a fisherman, hey, listen, you need to push back out and cast your nets to the other side. Anybody ever had somebody... Tell them how to do their job. And you're like, you know, like, Doug, if I told you how to do what you do, <laughs> right? Databasing. Yeah. So we could imagine that there's probably some of that interaction here with the Lord and Peter. But Simon says to him, he says, at your word, I'll cast out my nets. And so what happens is Simon hadn't caught anything all night. And he catches the nets as the story goes, the fish into the nets. 
And now his, his nets are busting at the seams and he has to call over uh, what we find out to be John and James to help him put the fish in the boat. And so he immediately turns to the interaction of Simon and Christ. And Simon says to him, he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And here's what Jesus says to him. He says, Simon, I don't want you just catching fish anymore. I want you to catch men. And if you've been around church for any amount of time, you've heard that phrase. And, and it's meant to mean several different things, best we can tell. But most importantly, Jesus is letting Simon know that, Simon, because I've pursued you, I've given you a new purpose. I don't want you just to catch fish. I want you to go catch men. And fishing was not an easy job. It was hard. It was tiring. It was wearisome. I, I know uh, Dave Cassidy for some time was uh, on a fishing boat in the Northeast, and he can attest that fishing is it's not as cool as the deadliest catch. I mean, it, it is a hard work. And so Jesus is giving Simon a glimpse into what kind of work it will be to go catch men. The work of ministry, of loving our neighbor, of following Christ, of loving our, our family and friends, serving. The work of ministry is a hard work. It's a tiresome work at times. And we, like Peter, have been pursued by Christ. Now, wh whether you're a Christian or not, Christ has pursued you. The Bible is explicit about that, and you guys don't have to turn there. I just, I'll read quickly so you don't take my word for it. Acts chapter 17, the great, uh, this is Paul in Athens preaching. Um, he says, uh, 17 verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, for he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Friends, regardless of where we fall on the spiritual spectrum, we have been pursued by Christ. And Christ has set out a new purpose for us. One that is full of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and life and meaning and purpose. Do you ever think about that, that one of the benefits that we have with being pursued and been given a new purpose is that we as Christians don't have to wonder who we were made for, what we were made for, or why we were made. And it's been 10 years since God saved me, but I thought about those things. You know, the, the other side of the coin is for 
people who are not in Christ, they wonder, why have they been made? What have they been made for? So Christians, above all, we should find the most purpose and meaning in all that we do. Because Christ has made it clear that because he's pursued us, just like he gave Simon a new purpose, he's given you and I a new purpose. C.S. Lewis said, very easy quote to understand, we were made for God. Friends, do you feel that benefit this morning? The benefit of purpose? That in Christ you have a purpose? Regardless of whether you feel stuck in a job or a situation or a relationship, that in Christ your life means something. And Luke doesn't stop there. He, he continues moving, giving us a, a, a different aspect of our benefits. And we find in verse 12, a story about Jesus cleansing the leper. And if you, if you spent any time in church, you've heard about leprosy. Leprosy was just a skin disease. And there's really no way to know exactly what it was, but it was, it was, it was nasty. It was a difficult skin disease. It was so nasty, in fact, that the Old Testament law required that if you had leprosy or any signs of leprosy, they kicked you out of any spiritual or social interactions. So you can't go to church. You can't go to family dinner. You live on the outskirts of town with other lepers. And I, you know, I don't want to be melodramatic, but I assume that's kind of what I was doing the last four days living by myself, and it is not fun to be by yourself. And so Christ's interaction with this leper goes a little bit like this. The leper, first of all, shouldn't even have been around other people. But the leper comes and finds his way towards Christ and says, Lord, if you will, you can heal me. And Jesus says, I will. And what we see is that Christ's cleanliness outdid any disease or contamination that the leper had. And the, the next thing the Lord tells the leper is, I need you to go to the priest, just like Moses commanded you. Because in those days, the priest determined what was clean or what was unclean. The priest had the final say-so as to what was acceptable or what wasn't. And so isn't it interesting that Hebrews calls Jesus our high priest, that Christ has stamped us clean, that regardless of anything that we have done or any contamination or disease or sin or filth, and we have all had all of those things. That Christ, before the foundations of the world, before the Father has stamped us clean, accepted. And we can only imagine, we, we don't know from the story, but the leper, I, let's have some gospel imagination here. I, I would assume 
having a disease where your skin is peeled up and you have boils and your, your, your flesh is literally just filleted open, that even when he was healed, I think it's reasonable to assume he probably had some scars, right? Some marks still on his skin. Here's what Mark, the Gospel of Mark says. It says that the leper, he went out and began to talk freely about it, about the miracle, and to spread the news. You see, when, when Christ cleansed the leper, those scars that that leper had no longer were, were marks that isolated him from community or society or family or relationship, but they instead became marks of God's faithfulness. You see, when Christ cleanses you and I, all the suffering and the scars and the hurt and the loss that we've experienced, they're not in vain. They, they hold a purpose. Flags of God's faithfulness and goodness and mercy and love and tenderness for his people. When hardship benefit, that when evil happens and it happens, when hardship happens, when life happens, when death, when disease, when loss of job, when, when all these things happen, we as Christians have the benefit of knowing that they're doing something. And we may not know that benefit fully until we meet the Lord, but we know that they mean something. Friends, what if they didn't mean anything? What if our suffering was totally meaningless? That would be a very, very unfortunate place to be. Praise God that because of Jesus, none of our scars... And we can all look around. We all have them. Scars of the heart, of the soul, physical scars. That they are producing something inside of us together. They are reminding us, they're reminding each other that God is faithful. And Luke highlights that interaction for a reason. And we find ourselves moving on to the third story. We know that Jesus pursued Simon and he was given a new purpose. And we know that Jesus cleansed the leper. And the leper's scars now became memoriams of God's goodness. We find ourselves now looking at a, a paralyzed man. And so the, the story goes that uh, Christ has settled now back into Capernaum, which is about 90 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, from history, what we probably uh, know is that it, they were at Peter's house. So Jesus and Peter are just kicking it. Not sure what they're doing, um, but they're hanging out. And then all of a sudden, flocks of people start coming. And that, in my estimation, that's pretty aggravating to be hanging out with one of your friends and People flock to you, and now there's no room in the house. And so 
based off of ancient home sizes, that probably means there are about 50 people there. Well, four friends carry one of their friends, a paralyzed man, because they heard Jesus was there. And so they, they get to the house, there's nobody there, and so they decide it's a good idea to climb up on the top of Peter's house and take off his roof. And they're going to shimmy him down in the middle of the home. Uh, Randy and I were talking. That had to be college-age guys, didn't it? There's just no way that's a good idea to anybody else. It reminds me of a, a time I was, um, when I was in college, me and a couple buddies thought it was a good idea to climb a water tower. And besides it being illegal and dangerous, I look back, I'm like, that's a terrible idea. And we were doing things like hanging off the side, you know, just totally stupid. This obviously turns out better for them than the water tower did for me, if you've read the story. So the paralyzed man lowered down into the middle of the home. And Jesus and him are looking face to face. And it's interesting that the first thing Jesus says to a paralyzed man has nothing to do with his paralysis. He actually looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus knew that what the man really needed was not physical healing. He needed healing from his spiritual paralysis. That the, the man was spiritually unable to move. And only Christ could heal him. When Christ forgave the paralyzed man, paralyzed man was actually given freedom for the first time in his life. And later on in the story, we see the Pharisees, religious leaders of the time, they had traveled all the way from Jerusalem to this house, about 90 miles. And they said, who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus says, is it easier for somebody to forgive sins or tell somebody to get up and walk? The paralyzed man knew something that the Pharisees didn't. And that was, even his best effort was still in need of forgiveness. You see, the Pharisees prided themselves on obeying the Old Testament law, on following the rules. So they, in their estimation, needed no forgiveness. But the paralyzed man knew even his best effort to obey the law, was still in need of forgiveness. And so if I'm honest with myself, I lean far, far heavier towards the Pharisees than I do the paralyzed man. Friends, it's when we realize that we haven't just been forgiven for our evil things, our sin, our bad deeds. We've been forgiven for every good deed that we'll do because it's in need of forgiveness. The Old Testament in Isaiah says that our righteous acts are but filthy rags. Our best efforts to please God still needed to be forgiven. And when Christ gives you and I forgiveness, 
That's when we're given actual freedom. There's a, a book that I love called The Ragamuffin Gospel. The writer, Brennan Manning, he since passed away. He says this. The sweet sound of amazing grace saves us from the necessity of self-deception. God not only loves me as I am, but also knows me as I am. Because of this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to him. I can accept ownership of my poverty and powerlessness and neediness. And it's only when Christ forgives you and I, and we pursue that forgiveness, that, that we can breathe the air of a free man and woman. It's not possible for God to love us any more than he does right now. It's not possible. Because his love towards us is not based off of our good deeds. What if it was? What if at the end of every day there was a scale? That would be a tiresome and burdensome Christ to follow. But praise God that he has not set it up that way. That all the forgiveness of any and all of our sin is in what Christ has done. That should be good news to us. That should be good news that it's not any other way. Which brings us to our final story here as we're wrapping up. And it's sort of an exclamation point on these set of verses. It's Jesus' interaction with Matthew, or Levi, the tax collector. Uh, um, for some reason, I think about tax collectors kind of like uh, the Grinch. And so I was looking up... Uh, Again, I had a lot of free time last week. I was looking up lyrics to the Grinch. And uh, one, of the, one of the lyrics says, uh, Mr. Grinch, you're a three-decker, what is it? A three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich covered in arsenic sauce. What is that? I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure Levi was a three-decker sauerkraut Toadstool sandwich covered in arsenic sauce. And so Luke tells us here that uh, Jesus sees Matthew at a tax collecting booth, which tax collectors were the shystiest dudes. They would pocket from their own people. They were sleazy and had unfair business practices and profited off of the misfortune of other people. And so Jesus goes and sees Matthew sitting at this tax collector booth, and he says, come follow me. And it says he literally got up and followed him. But the point of the story is really to highlight what Levi does next. And like any good tax collector, he gets all of his tax collector friends together and says, hey, I've been saved. Because the story highlights that Jesus saved Matthew. And so he calls all of his other tax collector buddies, and they say, he said, let's get together and celebrate. Let's party and enjoy 
that I've been saved. And so they're at this table, and the, uh, the Pharisees, they pop up a lot here. They question why Jesus would sit with tax collectors and sinners. And he says, don't you know that I've come not to save the righteous, but the sinners and bring them to repentance? And so what's that saying? That's saying that nothing Levi had done or would do determined whether or not the Lord would save him. Think about that. If what we could do could determine whether or not we would be or wouldn't be saved. And what I mean by that is we're saved because of what Christ did on the cross. Amen? If any of our actions could cause us to not be saved, then what we're essentially saying is that our actions eclipse what Christ did on the cross. How absurd is that? I live like that though. I live like my actions determine my position before God. Levi, it said, reclined at the table with Jesus. It was Christ's presence with Levi that gave him an assurance that he had been pardoned for all that he had done. And it was a lot. And so we're offered the same thing. That when Christ saves us, that we are changed. That we're new. That we're different. That we are no longer who we used to be. Just think about that. It's not just that there's a benefit in being saved from hell. But we are saved to something else. We're saved from and then we're saved to. We're saved to eternal pleasure and joy and goodness and fulfillment. What person, don't raise your hand, but what person doesn't want to be totally satisfied? What person doesn't want to find total meaning? What person doesn't want to be overcome with joy and fulfillment? Who doesn't want to have hope? But don't we at times live like we don't have hope? Don't we sometimes live like these benefits aren't all ours? I do. In fact, I'll probably leave here and in some way forget the benefits that exist with being a disciple of Christ. I will. And so will you. Because it's who we are. And Luke, through the gospel, tells us that there's a, another way. So let me ask, I just want to pause here for a minute, and we're getting close to winding down. Do you feel 
I mean really feel. I'm talking tangibly, experientially feel in your life the benefits of being pursued by Christ and given a new purpose. Do you feel the benefits of being cleansed from all that you've done? Do you feel a benefit to being forgiven and set free? Do you feel that freedom in Christ? Do you feel the benefits of being saved? Because the answer is either one or the other. And oftentimes it moves back and forth, doesn't it? Yes, I feel the benefits of my relationship with Christ. But oftentimes we don't. And so let me just, let me just say this. If you're here and you don't know Christ, if you're unsure if you know Christ, all the benefits of heaven exist in Jesus. And they can be yours. You, you can know purpose. You can know fulfillment and joy and satisfaction. You can be forgiven. John Piper, he's a retired pastor out of Minnesota. Here's what he said, talking about the times and places where we don't feel these benefits in a real way. We, we know them abstractly. We know that we've been forgiven. In fact, we're probably, some of us are sitting here saying, yes, I know I'm forgiven. And it feels like a, a lifeless event that occurred in the past. It feels like a, a dead, non-experiential circumstance that happened prior. We've been pursued, yes. We've been cleansed, yes. We've been forgiven, yes. We've been saved, yes. Here's what John Piper said. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Friends, following Christ costs something. I think we all, in some way, have felt that cost. Some of us will feel that cost even more. But the benefits of being loved and treasured far outweigh the cost of being a disciple. Christ. And so I hope one of two things has happened. The first is if you don't know Christ, that you might consider knowing Him. Because I would ask you, what benefits are you receiving for the life that you're living? And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in a genuine question. And if you are a Christian, my hope and my prayer for all of us 
is not that we would just see and hear, but we would experience and know the benefits that exist with being disciples of Christ. And it's, it's what Luke has reminded us of. It's what we ought to remind one another of. And it's what we should remind ourselves of every day. It's what Jesus said to the paralyzed man. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Friends, that is good news for us. It is good news that everything we need in this life is found in Christ. And so would you encourage one another, would you encourage me as we leave here, as we go into our jobs, our workplaces, our families, and we're told that the cost far outweighs the benefits of being a Christian. Would you remind each other that that is simply not true? That we should take heart because our sins have been forgiven. And so one of the ways that we can remind our own hearts is communion. So I'm going to pray and we're going to spend some time just considering whether or not we are fully indulging and the benefits that exist for those whom God has saved. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you've given us your word to think on, to feast on, that you've given us promises and truths to combat all of the lies and evil that is around us, Lord, that In you we live and move and have our being and that everything that we need is found at your feet. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you remind us of that? Would you let us feast and enjoy those glorious truths? In Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.